Hi and welcome to Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. It's a live Instagram show or chat or talk with sober people, people who don't drink, kink stuff, anything in between and we'll see what comes of the episode. I'll bring my guest in. We're going to Texas Dallas today to spark this talk with Sparky. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> I am loving I'm loving the background. Yes. <laughs> we have, I'll give you a quick tour. I'm actually in Oklahoma this weekend visiting some good friends. And this is their playroom with the uh the kink bed. We have the sling mount set up, the the cross, we got the bench and the floggers over there and a closet and drawers full of anything we want. <laughs> Fantastic. It looks like you're going to have a fun weekend then. Already have. Already have. <laughs> I did a, a, bear, a bear dance Friday night. So. Fantastic. Let's jump into it. I start with mm -hmm. four standard questions to start with, just to get us going, and then we'll see where we go. What do you prefer I call you? Names, pronouns, and title. So I, I'm, I, I'm Corey. But I've almost dead named that most of the time, and I introduce and go by Sparky now. So Sparky Baxter. And pronouns um, and title? He, him, and himbo. No, I don't have any titles. I did get a, a drag crown once in a sober pageant I'll talk about later. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, Sparky is a city boy, uh, really from Texas. So everyone kind of gets a little country in me. And I think that's true. Um, but really down to earth. Um, and, and just really kind of over the last few years kind of came into my own to where kink and sex positive and stuff has been a forefront in anything I do most of the time. It's <laughs> some of my work, um, day jobs. Um, but really just a fun-loving person. Um, I try to squash negativity where it comes and try to not regurgitate it as much as I can. So just peace and love sometimes. That sounds good. It's, it's, it sounds like a very good way to be. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. Um, completely sober, clear-headed, or social drinker? Uh, completely sober. Um, I do indulge in THC, though, um, which is just... Uh, I've abstained from it for five years, and then after two and a half years sobriety, I reintroduced it into my life and realized that I don't go to extremes with it, um, which I did in the past. So I had to learn that. Um, for anyone, I, for anyone listening, can you tell me what that is? I don't actually know what that is. THC is pot. Ah, fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I just needed to clarify that. It's like, I'm not quite but sure what that is. No drinking, no uh, other mind-altering substances. Won't even enjoy a popper if uh, someone's pushing it in my nose. No. Yeah, for me, um, the heaviest I go is Red Bull and maybe a Viagra. That's the mm -hmm. heaviest I yeah. go. So yeah, <laughs> I, I fully get you. I fully get you. What is clear play to you and why is it important? Oh, so in my past, when I was using it on meth, you know, I always had to find that head. I always had to get in that headspace and stay in that headspace through chemicals. Um, I really think now it's finding, finding somewhere comfortable to be and enjoy myself in actions and environments that could have been triggering for me. Um, but really now it's like meditation and patience uh, gets me in that headspace and I can stay long time in, in an environment where other people need, you know, even the poppers, even the drugs and the alcohol. Um, I, I don't see it as a form of escapism. You know, it's, it's a place I want to be now. So it's important to do it sober. Yeah. It, it, and connection is more important when you're sober. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It, it's, yeah. it, it's weird because when, when we are in active addiction, what we're seeking the most is connection. What you can't get on drugs is connection. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. It, um, there's a lot of, you know, grasping at straws um, when I was high and never really understood why, why none of that stuff stuck after the high was gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So you say you're from t uh, Texas, Dallas. Um, you say a little bit in. Um, you you talk a little bit about that you have um, a good, well-rounded life up until drugs. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit what might what led you to drugs in the first place? So, I I, I kind of fit an all-American uh, upbringing where we grew up in actually Houston, which is another large city in Texas. Um, I was a Boy Scout. I was a B plus student, give or take, and really had loving parents. There was no conflict in the house. Um, my coming out was a struggle, but accepted further down the line that I went. Um, the, the biggest regret I had growing up is I grew up with alcoholics. I grew up learning that um, extremes were important, but I was still given every opportunity to have um, a good education, good family, good friends. Um, you know, we went, we did Christmas in the country and everything. I, I really don't regret anything. I never had a religious trauma or anything. Um, it wasn't until I was out living on my own and experienced, um, some negativity from the community. And I, I, I say before that uh, me getting addicted to drugs was a self-fulfilling prophecy because I think someone saw a picture of me in a sling mm. and said, oh my God, he's on meth because I was so young at the time. And that picture kind of got posted around and I was like, no, no, I'm not. I, I was just having fun. And then later I was like, well, what's this meth thing they're talking about? And I tried it and it, mm. it came, came true to stick. It's it's it it just shows you when rumors kind of go around. It's 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 always damaging. And yes, you say the self fulfilling prophecy. I definitely in the start of my twenties, I had people in the fetish community in Denmark kind of going, "Well, you're doing all these things now. What are you going to do in the mid your your mid thirties or late thirties?" I was like, "Well, I'll be a recovering addict by then, but that's fine." Yeah, <laughs> but it is it is the judgment that can be really damaging. I, I always turn that around when people um, compliment on my looks and everything. And, you know, it's a, it's a good flirtatious thing, but I think one of my defense mechanisms is instead of just taking a compliment, I'm like, yeah, this is what years of drug and alcohol abuse will get you, <laughs> you know, so give it a try. <laughs> you, you might end up the same place as me. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's the thing is like uh, a lot of people when you mention you are a drug addict or you come out as a drug addict to someone, they kind of go, "Ooh, okay, what what do I say to this?" And it's like sometimes you need to break the tension and kind of go, "Well, this is the stupid shit I did, yeah. but well, I'm now better." I have quite a few friends because I still socialize and I still go out and I still see people in all various states of intoxication and fucked upness. Um, when friends have come to me and tell me that they're getting sober for so many days or something, I'm like, do I say congratulations or I'm sorry? You know, was this uh, a choice where you saw something better in yourself or did you fuck up enough that this was the only choice? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's that balance of because when, when someone is not quite ready for recovery, if you kind of approach it, they can kind of mm -hmm. do this Clam to up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want that. Yeah. So, you know, it's not necessarily uh, advertisement, but attraction. You know, you see something in me and you want to ask me a question about it. That's fine. You know, I'm, I'm probably um, a little grandiose, but like a beacon in the Dallas gay sober community because I do wear the sex work and everything kind of as a badge of honor on my shirt. Um, which can be taboo in somewhat of a conservative city. Um, especially in the CMA rooms, nobody wants to talk about sex positivity until they're sharing about the great time they had at the bathhouse five years ago and how they'll never forget it. But if you tell them you went to the bathhouse last week, sober and had a great time, they're like, why are you still doing that? You know, it was old behavior. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's not for me. It's, it's a, com it's um, a freedom. To be able I to think, go there and stay away. I, I think with everything like sexual and kink and so on, it, as long as you do it healthily and you're not risking your sobriety, mm -hmm. there's not an issue. 
Um, like you, I've had issues where, mainly because in London, it is so heavy on the chemsex scene. Uh, it is primarily what you would run into in the rooms. Yeah. Uh, so they, you, you can't talk about sex because you might trigger at least 10 people in the room. Mm -hmm. And it, it's for someone like me, where sex is a part of my life and fetish is a part of my life, I found that very difficult. And it, it, I guess it's one of the reasons I don't really do the rooms anymore. It's just, it was never a fit for me. Yeah. I remember first time I went to the rooms um, in Houston, I was 21. And I thought blackout drinking wasn't fun, but it's all I knew how to do. You know, mm. like I said, I grew up with alcoholics. Um, so I learned to drink to get drunk at a young age. I remember I was like 12 and my friends got into some Zimas and they were kind of enjoying it, but then still playing a prank on me. I like they were really drunk. And I went, I called all their moms and, uh, and I just felt like a damn narc, you know? So now, being in the rooms and hearing other people's stories, you know, I look into the relate, but I can't judge. I can't um, think that my experience is better than theirs or um, in the sense that what is okay for me may not be okay for them and vice versa. Absolutely. You know, so, so the rooms are great. I still love them. I work uh, with a kind of ragtag bunch in my rooms because we do late night meetings. We do them at 11 o'clock. Um, at night and we get a lot of newcomers and a lot of real down to earth people, service workers, uh, night owls, young people, um, which is very important to me in my sobriety, making sure that it's not all old fogies talking about how they've been sober for decades <laughs> because there, there's a period in between their early sobriety and long-term sobriety I think people lose. You know, yeah. you lose touch with it. It's 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 one of the things I I kind of when people ask me why am I so public about my sobriety, especially in the kink scene, is there's no one else doing it. Yeah, that mm -hmm. is the big reason. I was just like, well, there's no one to support me, so I'll create some support. Yes, does that sound a little bit grandiose? Like you mentioned yourself, maybe a little bit, but I also try to check my own ego sometimes. Yeah. of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, we host a CMA-focused meeting called Page 69, you know, and the, the big book starts out talking about, you know, we are not the arbiters of anyone's sex life, and we continue reading through that before we start our topics. Mm -hmm. And I think I've learned through that program and through my sponsor um, is that, one, if you let your higher power into any situation, it might be okay. Um, you know, and I jokingly kind of turn around. I said, well, it's always the threesome of gods in the room. <laughs> you know, my higher power is not a fairy tale. It's not a religious thing. I literally say Shrek, you know, because I think I saw, I said I didn't want a fairy tale. And the most anti-fairy tale was Shrek at the time when I was growing up. And his whole thing about keeping people out of a swamp. But once you're in, you're in was very important to me in my, in my new life. And so I kind of adopted that attitude and, you know, not everyone in, in the fairy tale of Shrek likes him, but those who like him, love him. <laughs> I think that's really, that, that's, it's really funny. And, but it's also quite in a way, symbolically beautiful. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's a really nice fall for me. Uh, if, if I categorize a higher power for me, um, I, I think of my friend Graham, who, who unfortunately died of an overdose. And I kind of go to him as going, do you know what? I'm doing what he couldn't do. And that kind of works for me sometimes when I struggle. Yeah. I do briefly want to talk about loss and grief in the rooms because I've, I've seen a lot of people die in just the few years. I've been in Dallas both through natural causes, sobriety issues and everything. And one thing I really do want to make sure people know is sobriety doesn't teach you how to grieve. You know, it, it, it's, it teaches you how to accept problems in life on life's terms, but mm -hmm. you still have to face those problems. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't, you kind of have to face them full on and you're not numbing everything. So you have to feel yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was, that was a share I had in the beginning of the rooms and it kind of plays towards um, how closeted I was, even when I was on drugs. It's like, I would drink to feel sad if I was happy. 
I would drink mm. to feel happy if I was sad. And there was always an escapism. And then I didn't really do much. Like, in my 20s, I say I was practicing monogamy because I had one long-term boyfriend. And we got married. Um, it wasn't open. It wasn't kinky. He, he really shamed me when I would start doing that stuff. So mm. eventually, I learned just to read gay erotica in bed and not show it publicly. And it was really closeted at a, young, at a, at a prime time in my life. Mm. um now after a divorce because honestly he he relapsed he waited till like my 30th birthday and said i've been doing drugs behind your back for six months and at this point we had already moved to dallas i pulled out my 401k we're living with his in my in-laws and like it's such a cramped annoying mm. environment for me and then he wants to like add the layer of hey i'm i'm an addict and you're living with me and i'm like I relapsed from that. Yeah. I went and I started doing drugs in front of my family and really kind of ruining relationships and money and everything. And eventually, a couple of weeks after that, I looked at the big picture and I was like, uh-uh. You know, he told me he would always have drugs in his life. And I was like, that's not, that's not in my future. And if mm -hmm. that's the case, without little to no discussion, I was like, you're not in my future either. After 10, 10 years, I was like, okay. And I ghosted my husband. I He was out of town. I packed a bag and left. Didn't say anything to him. Um, it just was a situation where I had to run away. And running away was probably the best thing I could have done because it got me into a situation and rooms and people that I, I, I couldn't live without now. So, and... He said I was closeted and I was in spots. I was in uh, situations where kink and sex wasn't wasn't encouraged. Um, you know, even on the drugs, he was like really just wanted to go off and do something, jack off or cheat on me or something. Mm. Um, but not with me. I was like, okay, well, there's what's my purpose in this? Um, and then eventually, you know, through the, through my step work, I realized that was on him. Those were all his decisions. They had nothing to do with me and my self-worth and what role I had in the marriage. So now that I'm out and I'm free and I'm open to the idea of like solo polygamy and um, really kind of just dating around and being being open to a lot of people, um, my codependency kicks in when I find a, a daddy figure who um, I get to latch on to. And although I'm attracted to them, I had to stop latching on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely have the same. I, I definitely have, I do have a thing for daddies, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I can be quite, get very fond very quickly if I'm not careful. Yeah, but they can do a lot to your ego. <laughs> and, and they don't realize they're doing it sometimes. And once they do realize that they're doing it, they keep doing it. It's like, why am I, why do I keep going back? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could answer that question, I think you could help a lot of people. <laughs> well, that as well. Size sometimes matters. Um, and for anyone listening on Spotify at the moment, he was just showing a, a, like a measurement of a big penis. I caught a fish and it was this big. Yeah. Well, I was just about, as, as much as I really cared for my ex, it's, it's, it didn't work. We were both in the rooms and it was quite destructive. Oh. But he yeah. had a beautiful penis. Absolutely beautiful penis. And if he, if he does watch this, it was like, you do have a beautiful That's penis. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my That's ex did too. But, you know, when he compared the nine to my eight, I was like, why are you belittling me and making me feel small? And so once I got out of that relationship and I learned that I had a well-honed penis, I was like, good for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did good. not, I did not know that at a certain age and it really messed with me and led me to drugs and alcohol. So now I'm sober and in, in a space where I can show that and have fun. I really feel like I'm finding myself as an expositionist and voyeur and overall just, I got it and I'm going to show it off. And that's evolved from OnlyFans to sex work, escorting, making porn, um, doing a lot these last three to four years that um, I always thought was somehow shameful. 
you know, everyone watches porn, but if you find out someone does it, you know, you're just like, no, why are you, why are you talking to me? And I get mm-hmm. that too. I get that when I go out now. Um, but on the flip side, later they're texting me to tell me how hot I am and how many times they were jacked off my videos and stuff. And um, I take all that with a grain of salt. And I think Dallas has such a conservative community and people are very close knit that it's hard to break in and be friends with people if they think they know you. It's. I think. I think, especially when you have an online persona, it, it. It's. Some people can get to the impression of, oh, they know this person, and if they don't react the way they want you to react, that can come off as being a bit. They can react a bit negative to that because they mm-hmm. have an impression on who you are, but that's not necessarily yeah. what you are in real life. Yeah. You know, and I. I, I do keep uh, the online life and my personal life because. I've had plenty of people reach out to me in the rooms mm-hmm. and want to talk to me about their sexual inventory and what their next steps are and stuff. And I realized my sex work, what I do is a service and somewhat of a, an emotional therapy for some people. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the guys who contact me probably have not had sex in years and really just want someone who's going to be there and make sure that their first time back is going to be okay. Mm. Um, and the rooms and sobriety, a lot of people do shield themselves off from that. But when I got sober, I think I blossomed in it because I had to give up drugs, alcohol, and eventually food because I became diagnosed diabetic because my stress levels and my A1C numbers were all messed up. Mm. So I didn't have like any real comfort. I was in a new city. I didn't know anybody. I was like, I'm going to be a whore. <laughs> and, um, made it work for me it was it, it wasn't all pretty not all the dicks for that big um <laughs> so i'm happy where i am now it's it's it, like I, I was looking a little bit on your instagram it looks like you you making the most of life which is so important how do you find um you mentioned that you kind of you're escorting or so on you you you, some clients it's more like sexual therapy in a way how do you find like you i've looked at your profile you're open and honest about being sober is that approached when people contact you as well yeah um you know and it is important It, it it really is a selective process for me too because um people don't read and I get all the party questions all the time. And I have a thing where I turn uh, my app conversations into 12 step moments and I'm just getting a feel for this person. I, uh, I've definitely flipped uh, a sexual conversation into a recovery conversation very quickly. It's so hard to go backwards though. <laughs> um, you know, but that that's just who I am as a person where, um, I could be guarded and you could see the sexual persona and stuff. But if, if I need to go deeper, I will. I mean, I'm, I'm as genuine as I can be. Um, some people aren't comfortable with that. And I've, I've gotten backlashed for being publicly sober and sexy. Um, I don't think those words are synonymous, which, you know, they can be, but I've, I've had a lot of people. I remember I posted, um, my thousand day celebration and someone close to me, um, I posted, I don't remember what it was, but they ended up posting, they got 999 problems, but being sober at one, he, he really had a, a feeling that he needed to step in and say something about my THC use. And, um, you know, and I'm like, that's not a destructive lifestyle for me. Um, mm. and not only that, but it's personal and why, why is your uh, opinion about someone else's sobriety matter? Because in Dallas, there's such a um, large group of circuit boys and stuff. I really think the leather scene has taken a hit after COVID in Dallas. Mm. Um, and so everyone's kind of gravitated towards the, the rays and the daddies and all that stuff. And that allows for such open use of drugs and new drugs that people aren't used to that everyone's like, well, you can't get addicted to G. <laughs> There's no hangover. I'm like, then why are you doing it every weekend? <laughs> yeah. And, and G, if you get addicted to G, 
it's so dangerous coming off it. You have to have medical mm -hmm. assistance. A lot of people don't know this. You have to have medical assistance to come off it because if you just stop, your heart can stop. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. Even I've talked to people where it's like, oh, the doctors didn't even know that that was an issue. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we're, I think, you know, um, we got to make a smarter mouse trap every time. The mouse gets smarter. You know, mm -hmm. drugs are getting, drugs are different. Drugs are more accessible and come in so many different forms now. I can tell you all the descriptions. So now on the apps, I'm learning new, just being away from it for a couple of years like I have, I'm learning all these new terms, all the new, and then they come out with new emojis and I'm like, and I and gotta look for learn, those and stuff. If you, come, if you come to Europe, you'll learn even more terms. Yeah. Because they're different over here compared to the States. I just really hope they don't take the sparky emoji because I like using that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be great, would it? Um, I, I, can, I can, for example, tell on here, if you put the Apple emoji on your profile, it means you're sober. Oh, okay. Someone started that here in, I think in the UK. And yeah. I've seen it has filtered out a little bit. I don't think it caught on as well, but I have it on my grinder. I have it on my scruff yeah. and some people actually pick up on it. Oh, the grinder uh, hashtags have been very useful now when I put drug free in them. I really like seeing that I have something in common with guys like that. And I love it when they have the kink highlights too. Um, but I, th I think the drug free really does kind of spark me. Um, and then you don't even have to be in a recovery mindset because I realize not everyone is going to be an alcoholic and an addict just because they're drug free. <laughs> so yeah, I, I try, um, funny enough, I, as you mentioned, I, I grew up around an alcoholic. Um, my childhood was quite traumatic in a, in a lot of ways, but I went the completely opposite direction. I didn't levitate towards alcohol. I was very judgmental around alcohol. I was very like, oh, you shouldn't drink this much, and, doo -doo -doo. and I had the same feelings around drugs to start with, uh, before I, of course, became an addict myself. Um, and it was, it was that self-realization when all of a sudden I had to admit I was an addict, and all of a sudden I understood the alcoholic I lived with when I was a kid. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, he had no control. It's not in his power to stop. He's just helpless. That's what happened. And I, mm -hmm. there was a part of me that was really angry that I all of a sudden understood this. Yeah. I remember growing up with my dad having a ton of hobbies, being very supportive. He, he designed and flew those trick kites on the beach. He uh, brewed beer and kind of taught me, you know, the complexities of it. He was my scout leader, um, had all these hobbies and all these amazing things. Um, and then I started to see a decline in him where they were drinking a lot and all those hobbies went away. And then his health went away. He became diabetic too and had to have surgeries and started having seizures and kept drinking. He kept drinking and then we lose a foot, mm. you know, and that was really tragic for me. And that's when my sobriety kicked in that um, I don't have to be my father. Um, I don't have to regret who he is either um but he he's going through it so i don't have to um and that's that's where i love and respect him i i can't change him mm -hmm. um but I, i'm really grateful that i'm able to be myself and be sober from from some of the lessons in that so you mentioned earlier around um and that goes back to the daddy conversation where i get hooked on them Please don't well, leave me. Please don't change. <laughs> well, I, I was about to say uh, my mom's changing boyfriends and only seeing my dad every two weeks. It's definitely not giving me daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely know where it comes from. Yeah. I, I think when, when you get, become an adult and you kind of look at your, some of your kinks and all oh, that, that's where it happened. Was there like a, a specific moment that brought you to sobriety? You mentioned a little bit about some of the trauma um, of your spine, but was, is there, I know a lot of people talk about your rock bottom and this is where you go from. So it, it I could talk about the Eagle in Dallas, <laughs> um, which I moved to Dallas and I found apartment like just adjacent to the main neighborhoods and the bars. Um, and I was just me and a mattress for a while until I could get furniture and get stable. I turned on the apps I wasn't using meth at the time, mm -hmm. but 
drinking and Coke were part of a near daily regimen for me. Um, one night, you know, I just knew the main bars, which were like on their own block. Um, this was like before I discovered leather and everything before then it was just like what I knew, um, on the internet. Well, the apps were going off one time and it's just all these bears, all these daddies and leathers and stuff. And I was getting a lot of hits and I learned that I lived two blocks or less from the Eagle in Dallas. Mm. And once I discovered that and really kind of found, um, a tribe and a moment to where I could fit in and I could get free drinks because I, I was an ideal little boy in that, in that scenario. Um, I just kept it going. Mm. I kept it going. I literally knew how to work the system to where I would get a free drink and a guy would walk me home at the end of the night and fuck me or put me to bed. It didn't make a difference because <laughs> I was drunk. Um, and that became a long cycle. Um, I ended up meeting a, a pup um, and he was there with his boyfriend and just sitting on the pool table and I came up to him, flirted with him and stuff and he told me he wasn't drinking, but I was drunk and I think my beer had like started to spill over and foam and I kind of shoved it up to his pup hood and was like, here, take, suck on the foam, don't waste any beer and stuff. And later we connected about him being, I knew he was sober. But later we connected again a few weeks and I'm like, I really think I'm ready. <laughs> I really think I'm ready because it came down to financial hardships and I had no connections with people. I was leaving the bar crying. I was a mess, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I was leaving the bar crying alone. I didn't have a friend to carry me where I was going. So um, not getting uh, the attention and not being um, – the center of attention when I thought I should have been um, because my confidence was so fake and so fraud um, that led me to want to be try sobriety. And, you know, my friend called me and I was like, I'm going to go to a therapist. I'm not going to do group therapy, which is what my, my opinion about AA was. Mm. Um, and she told me to try it. She told me to try it. It was trans friend from Houston. And um, I did. And, um, I remember we ended up going to a late night meeting. They light it by candlelight. So it's, it's very non-intimidating. It's very, um, you know, burning desire type uh, shares, um, which a burning desire is what can I tell you tonight? So I get it off my chest and I don't harm myself. Mm. Um, so there's not always a lot of solution in these meetings, but there's a lot of raw emotion. And I connected with that and I kept going back and eventually COVID happened like within, I was August, 2019. So partway through my first year, everything shut down and we almost couldn't have meetings. Um, I found a sober roommate and we ended up having meetings at home. And that was really powerful and important for me because mm -hmm. it, it built a fellowship. It, it gave me a reason not to leave Dallas because I think if I had gone back to Houston and tried to reconnect with my life down there, I would have kept drinking. I would have kept using my meth. Um, it would have taken me alive. Um, so really I had a spiritual experience kind of right from the beginning. And, I, and I, I don't have any more relapses left in me to, um, to do that. It's, 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 so important that you you, you kind of it's 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 weird it's like you, you talk about um connecting with the rooms and and you finding your way there um and it's it's quite powerful when you talk about it um and i'm, I'm really pleased that you're comfortable sharing this kind of emotion especially on the live when people just watching um yeah I'm, I'm guessing it's a little bit of the exhibitionist in you. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 will, I will be a well-open book. And that, and that doesn't stick all the time. It wasn't three years of me falling in love with the rooms and trusting the fellowships keep me sober. Um, I have highs and lows and resentments, especially during COVID, when people can't get their shit together and I'm the only one showing up sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's got to go. It's... it's <laughs> I, I think, especially in early sobriety, you have a lot of anger to work through and grief mm -hmm. as well. 
a lot of people get really surprised when I mention, well, giving up drugs and alcohol, it's a little bit like losing a limb or a, a, a good mm -hmm. friend. And how do you deal with that kind of grief? It's not the same type of grief as losing a person, but it is, it, it is the same emotions you go through, denial, anger, sadness, all this. And a lot of people don't realize that. No. And a lot of people can't relate to what it's like to be an alcoholic to mm. where you want to drink and you want, you know, I forgot what the thing was, but my sponsor asked me, um, how many times can you let someone do something to you before you say that's enough? And mm. I said, so you're asking me how, how much poison do I want to drink until it kills me? <laughs> you know, you know, when do you stop drinking, drinking the poison? <laughs> You know, and that, that's that's just what it is because drugs and alcohol just don't have um, a soft, you know, comfort zone for me. You know, it's all or nothing. Oh, <laughs> I hate I hate cinnamon, but every night at the end of the bar, here I am getting a fucking fireball. Really <laughs> cuss or not? <laughs> um, and well, I, there's alcohol in it, so why not? I wake up every morning throwing up because my body always did that but kept doing it and i was like why does it taste like cinnamon i hate cinnamon probably the reason i hate cinnamon though <laughs> do you know what at one point um my preferred drink uh of choice was vodka and orange juice it took me maybe a year after i stopped drinking that because i just kept puking every time i had it yeah um it took me a year to relearn how to drink orange juice without wrenching because <laughs> of it just reminds me of vodka yeah. Um, well, I can't do poppers. I can't, you know, and it's not because, well, one, I, I, I like to be in the headspace without the assistance of poppers, mm. you know, and the pain in it is fine. I don't mind it stretching and um, doing everything if I can breathe through it. But also there's like poppers and then that anal release lube that smells like cinnamon and cloves that really just are triggering for me. But I also remember like, I used to live with the straight girl and whenever we couldn't get our hands on meth, we would just sit there and zone out on poppers. And so I think that's kind of triggering for me. It's like, we want to be this high up and then we just want to be Wawa. <laughs> it's, and... it's, the, it's, it's the weirdest thing when people go into sobriety is like, uh, just be mindful of certain weird things are going to trigger you and you don't mm -hmm. know when they're going to come. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, it's like being at the bars. It's just, and, and the circuit parties will do that. The dances and the raves and stuff people are so openly doing it and sharing and stuff um i've taught myself a lesson you know growing up in my generation pac-man you know you see someone doing drugs just turn into a blinking ghost and dance the other way no one's gonna notice if you're not in the circle <laughs> you don't get the next hit <laughs> don't care how how have you found now that you're sober and you do do a circuit party or a club night or and so on, mm -hmm. how are you found it navigating that scene if there is drugs on the premises? How do you find yeah. navigating that? In the beginning, I always tried to sandwich it with a meeting. You know, I go to a meeting after work knowing it was going to be Friday night and I wanted to be, be around people who were drinking. Um, you know, so I would make sure I, I kind of had a clear headspace and I had an escape plan. Um, not just to get out of the bar, but an escape plan to know if I do drink, what's the next step? Mm. You know, if I do get so intoxicated, I get in a dangerous situation. Um, does somebody know my location? Mm. Um, is, you know, do do I know where my keys are? You know, and I'm, am I secure enough not to drive? Which never was a problem for me. Um you know, like I was saying, I had a good life and my, my bottoms never felt too um, dangerous to myself or others. So I, I didn't have that crazy risky behavior. Um, yeah, just going, going in with, um, for me, it's going in with confidence, knowing that everyone's supposed to drink. I think that's one reason I dead named Corey and started going by Sparky. It's just because it's it's a um, a veil or safety net when drunk people come up to me and they want to talk to me and they want to have all these shallow conversations and stuff. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm Sparky. And then they just get hooked on the name and I tell them about the porn and stuff I do. And, you know, maybe I get a follower. <laughs> 
how, how do you um how do you get into doing porn i'm really good at sex <laughs> <laughs> so um confident yeah <laughs> um how do i get into it um Probably by 2021, I lost a job, had a really hard time with the job hunt being um, restaurant manager. Um, it, it was just, did I want to go back to the same cycle? Did I want to elevate my job? What did I want to do? And during that downtime when I was collecting uh, benefits and stuff, I was like, okay, well, let me, let me just start the dirty Twitter, see what Twitter is about and explore that. Um, so it was a lot of exploration before I just kind of went in and did it and said, let's go. Um, eventually, I lost another job after a year of doing that as a side hustle. And then, um, or what was, OnlyFans was going to like shut down porn. That was the rumor going around. And I was like, what am I going to do? That's, that's, that's supplementing part of my income and stuff. And my good friend, Matt Coven um, from Houston, told me to try renting. You know, it's like what you make in a month, you can get, in a day um you know you're, you're selling a premium and you know as long as you're confident in it i i so the transition from doing porn to sex work and really kind of knowing the difference between the two you know not every sex work is going to feel like a porn you know no. but playing to the camera and enjoying myself is going to benefit the other side because people find me and they want to get to know this person and stuff. Like, I think we connected on TikTok first. And one thing I love about TikTok was you get to see the side of a person and their humor and their personality. And then you're like, oh, what do they look like naked? <laughs> you know, what's, what's next for them? You know, yeah, who that, are they it's, on this it's, side? It's weird you, you mentioned TikTok. It's just like, yeah, I did a video asking some of my followers on TikTok you can go over and watch it. I'm biking in London on TikTok. Um, and I asked if any of my followers would want to do this with me. And you were one of the people who actually approached yeah. me. I, I completely <laughs> forgot I did that. That's where I got you from, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always wonder where people get to know me from because I have I have my other phone number for Rentman. And when people text me on it, I was like, I know exactly what you're texting. <laughs> so it's really funny to um, figure out where people know you from. Because I do get recognized. I have these big little tattoos that are like billboards when I go out without my shirt on. And so people come up, Sparky, Sparky, and stuff like that. And I'm always curious, which site do they know me from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, which, which, which area yeah. of expertise do you know me from? Well, and then on the flip side of that, Corey's not even my legal first name. So whenever someone calls me with my other first name, I'm like, what bill are you collecting? <laughs> <laughs> Which so, service I, I, are you going to serve me now? It, I don't think it's it's the Gemini in me. You know, personal life, personal parts of my life are compartmentalized. Um, but they're overlapping like crazy now that I just have to go in everything with a clear head. And that's why being forefront about my sobriety and the sex work and everything else I do is important because I don't want a newcomer or someone who looks up to me sober to see me doing all this crazy kinky sex stuff on camera and then being like, he must be high again. He must have relapsed. He must have done this because he had a circuit party and stuff. No, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm setting boundaries. My, my biggest rule is nothing good happens after midnight. And if it's after midnight and the apps are going off, I'm probably not going to answer them. <laughs> I'm probably not um, going to try to show up late to a party or by the time the crowd starts turning at a rave, it's midnight, and by then I'm already kind of looking out to see who did I zone in on and who can I take home tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm in, in surprise. Yeah, I've realized I have horrible social anxiety, and I'm quite an <laughs> introvert. I'm not an extrovert at all. Um, so I find when I go to a party, I tend to go there when it opens. Um, so I can kind of like that slowly, slow boil. Um, you see the crowd grow, and you kind of get a feel for the clicks and where people are standing. Yeah. I, I do that too. But then on the flip side of that, I always try to calm my anxiety by just focusing in on what who's closest to me, who I can see, touch, you know, and just focus in on the moments. Um, because if I worry about all the drugs going around me, all the people who may or may not like me or, um, you know, because I 
I'm not friendly with everybody <laughs> as, as cute as I can be. I really do set hard boundaries with people who have upset me. Um, there, there's very few people who get that, uh, amends process from me, um, all the time. So I, I am hyper aware of situations when I go out and, you know, I just, I just kind of let things come to me. I don't instigate. I keep my street clean and all that good stuff. It's, it's, it's when, when you are slightly in the public eye, you, 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 are mindful of what happens and who you talk to and how, how you react. But of course yeah. you don't have to be friendly to you, no one. You don't owe anyone anything. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause you subscribe doesn't mean that gives you insight to my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's really interesting to talk about like doing sobriety and doing the porn and doing the escorting yeah. and it's so nice seeing someone who has this sexual positivity even in sobriety mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier in, in in the in the interview was that sometimes that can be quite challenging when you're a sober person because a lot of people who come into sobriety it's quite destructive uh, especially around chemsex. I'm definitely yeah. one of those people where it took approximately two years for me to reconnect with fetish. And I yeah. did that through Real Clear Fetish. It's I, like like you mentioned, um, it, it's, it's kind of my hustle back in. Yeah. Uh, I'm part of a community in Dallas um, where we do sober sex parties. Um, and this is one have... of the things that I want to do here, but finding yeah. a venue that wants to do it and actually the right people and it's really fucking difficult it's because it doesn't really exist here. Find the people first um, because you're going to need networking, you're going to need connections, you're going to need builders and stuff. But I, I've worked closely with the private playground. I think it's private play GR1 on most of the platforms. And what we do there is we have creative events. We set up slings and everything. Now there's fisting groups. There's um, communion that shows up there and everything. We filmed a lot with him too. So not only do we have these parties every couple of weekends where it feels like a bathhouse without that social anxiety. Like mm. literally, instead of people just walking by each other, you're coming, um, you're coming to the party. Everyone's already naked and you know, people are getting horny right away. I love that part of it. And I love showing off and having sex in front of a group like that. Um, we've also expanded that into him making porn during 2020. And we just did some crazy scenes. I did um, the first ever drone porn. So there's a scene out now called the boys of summer where it was like 14 of us. Um, we all came into this private property and he had drones flying around touring the, touring the land and then we we set up slings and we just all had sex going at it it was so fun it's such a cool bird's eye view to do it was something different you know and i i i roll off of that idea and then i have another video where we did this giant gym orgy during the circuit weekend um and so i'm grateful that i was able to be a part of those experiences um, clear headed and sober because there were some performers who showed up because it was like a dance weekend and or they no call, they didn't show up or they showed up and they were having a hangover and they had to leave and I'm like why did you drive 45 minutes out of town <laughs> if you had this commitment um, you know so being sober is very important for me to hustle um, and be able to show up for those things and you know it's really important for me. Plus I enjoy it more. I enjoy it a lot more if I'm, if, if I don't see it as a chore and I need a little bit of drugs to kind of get me over the hump. Um, because yeah, the, the genuine excitement I have on camera is, is just that it's genuine. Also, I've, I've been looking at your Instagram and your kind of your, your style. Uh, I know you mentioned himbo at the start of it. Yeah. It's it's a fairly new term for me. Um, can you explain more about yeah. what that aesthetic is? So it's it's about being long, blonde, and dumb. No. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I was about to say, I don't get offended, but when I think himbo and kind of the style, I think yeah. like an American Chad kind of person, but a, a gay, sexy one. 
yeah, so we're talking Pamela Anderson. We're talking um, Kim Kardashian, um, Bimbo, where, yeah, they're beautiful. They're, they, they, and they know how to monopolize and enjoy that. Um, you know, and if you have this perception out me, and then maybe I'm a little better than it, um, I'm winning. You know, I had a conversation with a dude on the apps just yesterday who, who really came at me wrong and I had to put him down. He was trying to get me to go to a Tanya Tucker concert, a country concert out here. And I was like, no, th-. he's like, are you a fan? I said, I like Dolly Parton. Um, I can tell you about that. But that. That's the title. I'll finish with that story. Um, and then he saw, I said, I have something to do tomorrow. So I really can't do a concert. Thank you. That's it. That's all I said. Then he comes back and he's like, oh, you're from Dallas. You must be elitist. I'm from this. I'm from that. And then he comes back and says, oh, I Googled what the term himbo is that you don't see yourself as highly intelligent. Well, you just need to fuck off, you moron. And I'm like, okay, um, don't come here for that because <laughs> I'm, I, I said some pretty mean stuff. I don't know if he has on red or not, red or not, but I was going to leave it and I left it last night and then he came back this morning and I was like, your parents, I really hope they're dead so they don't have to be ashamed of you now. <laughs> I just claws out. Um, you know, and that that's where people on the apps will see someone um, and think, oh, I've seen them naked. I know more about them and I can, I can say these things to them. No, I'm still human. I'm still um, made of glass and I'm sharp if you break me. So, uh I don't treat everyone like that. I treat very few people like that. But I get the screenshots when I do. <laughs> just, I, I think it's okay it to it's it's okay to clap back if if you're not feeling what they're telling you and and there's also yeah there's an aesthetic but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's yeah. like reality and it's it's yes you go for the the himbo yeah. vibe and it's it's there's a difference between reality and fantasy. Yeah. So talking about fantasy, early in sobriety, we have um, a drag pageant, a fundraiser that we do, and it's called Miss Half Measures. You know, Half Measures availed us nothing. Um, it's one of like the first in the reading. And so if you have under a year of sobriety, you compete in this contest. Oh, fabulous. Try to raise money. And so I did. <laughs> it ties back into the fact that my character was a Dolly Parton impersonator. And I went by the name Jolene... <laughs> I was going to be Jolene and I was going to steal your man. And I did this whole number and I won. I actually have the Miss Half Measures title and crown still sitting around. <laughs> but I really did look like um, the girl off Beverly Hills, Billy. Just blonde in a little um, peplum dress with big arms and big muscles. So I'll post it on my, on my Instagram here because I don't think it's made it on there. Um, but I'll post it on Sparky next. Fantastic! That that that's just such a... just to really confuse my audience. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I'm I'm all for confusing. It's it's why, why does it all? Yeah. Why does it always have to be so serious? Yeah, mm. it, it's supposed you know to be fun. You know, I think that was my introduction to kink. I started wearing pup hoods out um, in in the bars to feel protected and um, to be around people who were drinking. And if I was a pup. I was in a headspace and can be playful and kind of disappear or people don't recognize me. So they didn't talk to me necessarily. Um, I've evolved that more into like an alpha pup. Now I'm not the shy little dog anymore. <laughs> You're <laughs> but, not the shaky but, chihuahua in the corner. Hell no. <laughs> I'm a fucking bulldog about to just say, what are you doing in my house? Um, the, but it was, it was a real introduction and, in Dallas, a lot of the guys will be pup, pup hoods and stuff. And then I'm like, hey, let's go back home and fuck around in them. Nobody wears their hoods in bed. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> I have some guys I'm going to film. I think someone's watching. Pup Lycos was showing up earlier, and we're going to film in hoods. I'm saying it on the live, so he has to do it. Yay. <laughs> well, that, yes, it's now a signed contract. It's been vocalized online. <laughs> so you have to do it. No, again. we've talked about it. <laughs> But you know what? I find a lot of fetish porn, the gear comes off too quickly. Mm -hmm. There's only one proper, proper, like, bluff lever porn, and it's it's from the early 90s. You've probably seen the one that has puppies in it as well. 
uh, and it's made by the one who actually set up the bluff site. Um, yeah. And it's literally the only one you can find where it's like proper Leverman mm -hmm. gear. Because um, yeah. it's just not made. It's And, and yeah. if you do have fetish porn, they take the gear off like, like that. Well, it's expensive. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm at my friend's house and they have amazing gear and I, I've been able to borrow it and share it. And I think some of my most cherished pieces are hand-me-downs. Um, but for, for a while there, I was like, yeah, I love neoprene. I think neoprene's better than leather. No, it's just cheaper. <laughs> I've, I've had such better experience for leather now. It's, um, that it's, a, good, it's a good start fetish. It's a good start yeah. fetish. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. I love gear. You know, I don't just want to... That's why the, the Dallas guys will wear it to a dance. And I'm like, I don't want to go dancing in my good leather. <laughs> I well, I had, someone, I had I someone, like, I had someone write to me on Scruff the other day and he was just like, fuck me. It's like, oh, okay, fine. I'll reply. He's quite hot. And I reply with a picture of me in full gear because my profile is full mm. with gear pictures. So I assume that's why he's contacting me. And he replies, no, no gear. I want real sex. I was like, well, we're not going to match then, are we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, in my sex work, I get exposed to a lot of different kinks because the guys will call me with fantasies and stuff. Mm. This guy this afternoon um, is talking gas mask and military uniforms and stuff. So I'm like, I've never done it, but I'm here for you if you want me to. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's important. Like, accommodate. Mm -hmm. Accommodate. Yeah. We, and, well, and, we come... Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was. Just, oh, okay, I, I don't fine. know what. Uh, we, we're coming to the end now. Um, it's actually been absolutely a joy to talk to you. It's really nice to talk to someone who's sober and sex positive and enjoy their kink and and their authentic self. So I, I've really mm -hmm. been pleased to have you on. It's been really Thank really you. interesting <laughs> and um, absolute pleasure to actually talk to you. Um, yeah. in, before we kind of end, is where can people get a hold of you? Um. It's very easy. I, I uh, bought the domain sparkybaxter.com. Um, so sparkybaxter.com will take it all the links, but I think I have the screen name at sparkybaxter on most of the sites. Uh, I really do like, and I kind of keep my just for fans updated. Um, Twitter is a great platform to meet on. Um, I feel like Instagram, I, I lose conversations too easily. But, you know, any which way you can find Sparky Baxter, you'll find him. And, and I really think that name <laughs> has stuck and it's really easy to remember. So just DM me, sparkybaxter.com. Fantastic. And if there is, is there any, like, I, I know we, we don't necessarily um, always want to advise people, we kind of suggest things. Is there any, like, suggestions that's really resonated with you, you wish you maybe have had a little bit earlier on? Uh, don't do meth. Um, <laughs> yes, don't do meth. That is yeah. good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do love the the positivity and exploration where I tell people, be safe. Don't do anything that I wouldn't do twice or three times. You know, <laughs> you know make, make sure you're wholehearted in anything that you do. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been absolutely Yeah, thank you for having me. Fantastic. <laughs> we'll I love how I, I know it's the evening for you and it's the middle of the day for me. <laughs> Our lighting really suggests. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's mid, like middle of the night for you. And yeah. <laughs> it almost was because my blonde moment was, I thought we were going to be doing this at 1 a.m. local time. <laughs> I wasn't Very like blonde. when I saw your message this morning, it's like, have I fucked up? But then I realized I put the wrong... Like I put 9 p.m. for some reason yeah. when I did the picture, so I had to adjust it. But besides All that... All good. I'm happy like, to be here. It was a great day. Fantastic. So, I think I'm going to go dip in the pool because it is sunny outside right now in Oklahoma. <laughs> but I'm back in Dallas next week. Fantastic. And then well, I've, got a, I've got a lot of stuff to post, so look forward to it. Oh, well, I'll keep an eye out. I've been looking a little <laughs> bit on the videos on your Twitter account. They're quite... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, enjoy the pool. It's been lovely yeah. talk. Bye, guys. Bye. So that was Sparky Baxter. What an absolute gent to talk to and so much experience. But I'll be back in a couple of weeks because it's fetish week this coming week, so I'm quite busy. Um, so keep safe, be proud and kink, 
do it sober, and if you can't talk to someone about it, it's okay to open up. So keep safe and have a good weekend. Bye.